amazing time of worship. Oh. But unfortunately, the worship has set you up. Because I don't believe, when I know most of you here, I think I know almost everybody, but I don't believe you are hypocrites. And, and you just sang out loudly, I will open up your heart, my heart and let you in. You just gave God permission, you gave God carte blanche to come and do whatever he wants to do. And I actually think God might do some open heart surgery on some of you tonight. So don't complain if it hurts a bit. I'm not going to apologize for that. Because you just gave permission. You can open up your heart and uh, get some feedback. So if for a moment, if for a moment you wondered what's happening here tonight, what really is happening here tonight, I, I want to say that it's the grace of God on display. What the, the, the joy, the worship, the celebration, everything you saw here tonight, the prophetic word, everything of that, it's the grace of God on display. But as... Because we are human beings, we have a tendency to sway. We, we, we have this thing, either we, we, we anti-grace, or we, 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 don't, we, we, we don't come under grace. And, and we have this way of this pendulum swing either one side or to the other side. And I've learned in life that um, the response to abuse, and I know we, we go to these two sides when we talk about grace, because some people have preached grace in the wrong way. They, they preach grace as a license to sin. On the other hand, some people have not preached on grace at all. So we have these two, two uttermost ends, and that's our response because somebody has abused the topic of grace. But I want to tell you tonight that our response to abuse is not non-use. It's correct use. We need to look at the Word of God and see what does the Word of God say. And unfortunately, we, we tend to try and create formulas, but we only use certain parts of the formula. So we will, if, you are, if you pro-grace, you will you'll just focus on grace. If you uh, about the love of God, you will just focus on the love of God. But the grace of God is part of a combination of grace, mercy, and justice, and that represents the righteousness of God. And it, I, think, I don't think we speak enough on the righteousness of God. We talk about God is love, and the world out there might interpret it as God likes me. God is chuffed with me. But we need to tell the world, it's our responsibility to be honest with those who do not have Jesus as Lord and Savior in their lives. We need to be brutally honest with them and say, because of the righteousness of God, He has no option but to deal with sin. And how he deals with sin is his prerogative. Because of the righteousness of God, we have this 
almost pull between grace and justice. And somehow we avert that topic. We, we evade it. We don't go there because it might offend people. But um, yeah, I've offended a few people in my life. <laughs> Tonight will be nothing new. <laughs> we will go there and we'll talk about it. And I'm, I'm going to focus more on the grace of God because it's, it's important that we get that, that right. So let's read the, the most popular scripture on the grace of God. And I'm sure Sarah's going to tell me what that is. I'm going to read one of the, the best scriptures that displays the grace of God. Any takers? Any takers? What's it going to be? Okay. okay. Let me tell you rather. Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is one of the most beautiful scriptures on the grace of God. It says this. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all their wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you, Lord, in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to their folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. And verse 10 is the verse on grace that I'm going to focus on today. It says this. And I want you to look at that scripture through, through the lens of grace. Grace and mercy, like a mighty river, flows incessant from above. We often sing that hymn, beautiful hymn. And I feel it's almost like those words come out of this verse. It says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. That describes the moment of the cross of Jesus Christ. It describes, we, we, we sing that in that, in that um, uh, spiritual song we sing about Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, and we sing that line that says, And a shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill. That moment when that cross arose and our Savior was hanging on that tree, that moment, righteousness and peace kissed each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will heal its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. Grace, the, the word grace, is the most beautiful word that can be used to describe who our God is. It actually doesn't need 
anything in front of it or behind it. Yes, it makes musical sense to sing Amazing Grace. But the word grace in itself doesn't need amazing in front of it to make it amazing. Grace is in the superlative form already. That's grace. The grace of God, you can not add anything to it or take anything away. The grace of God is the most, grace is the most beautiful word to, to describe the character of our God. The problem is we have a tendency to take even the most beautiful thing and trample it underfoot. I think that's something of what I want to touch today. Grace and mercy goes hand in hand and they help explain one another. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. That's the grace of God. Grace is absolutely free. If anybody tells you to pay for it, if anybody comes to you and says, you can have grace, and if you buy it today, you can have two portions. They're not from God. Because grace is free. Anybody asks you to, put, put, to give money towards something because you have received the grace of God? It's against what God teaches us in His Word. Grace is free. It's, un, it's undeserving. It's unmerited. It's something that God gives. It's not something we can demand. It's not something that we can lay claim to as if we've done something to deserve it. The grace of God is free. And we need to settle that in our hearts today. And grace is not just a New Testament phenomenon. Because the Bible teaches us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It, it's something that's through the whole Bible. And I'm not sure why we don't access or speak about grace often enough. Because it's at the very center of our walk with God. If it wasn't for grace, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for grace, you wouldn't be here. Grace has a... Grace has a connotation to it, or yeah, a, a part of it refers to past, to the past. A part of it refers to the, the present, and there's a future outworking of grace. So when we, when we speak about being saved by grace, that means, yes, there was a day that Jesus arrested my heart, and I'm saved by grace. And, and just reminded myself as I spoke, you know, um, Tomorrow, they say faith, uh, faith without hints is dead. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but because of grace, you don't have to pay anything, okay? Here's the thing. Tomorrow, I'll be 59. Four days ago, I was saved 52 years. By the grace of God. Nothing that I've done. So yes, there's a day in my life that I can say, 52 years ago, God arrested my heart. But for 50 day, 52 years, I was being saved by the grace of God. 
And there's one day that I'll stand before God and I will behold His glory and I will be able to say, Saved by grace. Do you know that there's a song that we will be able to sing in heaven? You understand that the angels are worshipping in heaven. You know that. Angels are worshipping in heaven. But there's a song that Lee will lead us into one day that the angels can't sing. The angels cannot sing saved by grace. We are saved by grace. And we need to value the fact that we are saved by His grace. You see, grace, the grace in the past, the grace in the present, and the grace in the future is found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because He was the Lamb before, slain before the foundation of the earth. Past. He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of this world. And he's the lamb worthy to open the book in the end. It's all in Jesus Christ. The grace, the display of grace of God towards us, his people. It's an amazing thing. It's time that we stop and just think about it for a moment. The amazing, amazing grace of God. So what, what is the need for grace? Why the need for grace? Because of the fall of man, because of sin. And Matthew 4, verse 16 says this, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and, and shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. That is the grace of God. That light that came upon the, those dwelling in darkness is the grace of God. I was shocked. I was sitting here and, and Fred came to whisper in my ear um, and he said to me, he was in India, uh, I, I don't know, I couldn't figure when I greeted him, he's like, hello, no. uh, okay, right. Um, so now I understand, he was in India for, for 10 days, and uh, he said he, he landed up in a town, and it was so dark and sinful, that in his spirit, he asked God, he, he was reminded of Abra Abraham stepping in for Lot's sake, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and say, if there's like 30 people, Lord, will you spare and he's like asking the question, how many people in this city or in this town that's saved? And he actually got the feeling that there's none. What? That's how sad and sinful man has become. And therefore, therefore, if we, we sit here and most of us in this room has been saved by God's grace. It should be something we celebrate. It should be something we treasure. It should not be something that we trample underfoot. The grace of God, should, it should make our hearts overflow with gladness and joy and gratefulness, gratitude that His grace, His grace saved me. His grace was needed and as I think, I think you mentioned it earlier, Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace to have been saved. Do you, do you know what that means? I mean, sometimes you sit in a hall like this and say, who's all saved here? And people just pop up there, I'm saved. It's an amazing thing 
that in the billions of people that live on this earth and that has lived on this earth, that you have been arrested by the grace of God. And because of that, because of that, you should open your heart and let Him come in and do what He wants to. We sing that old hymn. I've changed it slightly um, because of what I've seen around. It says, um, You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me, but please don't touch me today. <laughs> That's where we are. It's easy to say you are the potter with the clay, but Jesus puts his hand, Father puts his hands on you. Oh no. I'm happy in the shape that I'm in. My wife's not happy in the shape that I'm in, but, but, but I am. <laughs> the grace of God. It's almost when we say that word, it, it, should, it should stop us in our tracks. I don't think we think enough about what God the Father has done. Oh, the plan that drew salvation's, uh, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. It was an amazing work. We need to celebrate that. It needs to Light a fire inside of us. It's bigger than the problems we're facing. Our God is big. If we were somewhere in Mexico, they would have said to you, God is very, very big. Very, very big. But, but we, need to, we need to talk about the bigness of God. And in Titus 2 verse 11, verse 11 it says this, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. I hope by now you get the picture. Grace comes from God, and by grace we are saved, not by works. I said to some people, I think it was in Muscle Bay where we preached two weeks ago, you don't become a Christian by association. You're saved by the grace of God. So some people think because they are born in a Christian family, that makes them Christians. Some people think that because they're born in a Christian country, that makes them Christians. Some people think because they come to church gatherings like this, that makes them Christians. Let me just test that, that theory. I live in a granny flat. Does that make me a granny? <laughs> you don't become a Christian by association. It's the very grace of God extended to you. We need to, set, we need, we need to think about that. And for a moment, I just, I'm, I'm going to fly through just to, because it, 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 I, can, I cannot do that topic justice. There's so much to say that, that I cannot do that topic justice. I can just give you little aspects, little glimmers of what the grace of God is. And especially when a clock runs this fast, I can, then I can't. Right? But there are two barriers to, 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 to grace that I would like to highlight. There might be other barriers, but there's two barriers to grace that I would highlight. Number one is pride. Pride is a barrier to experiencing the grace of God. James 4 verse 6. You have that one? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. 
Pride is a stumbling block to experiencing the grace of God. If you think you're good enough, or you think you're too good, if you think you don't need the grace of God, that is pride. And it will prevent you from experiencing the very, very grace of God. The second thing that is a hindrance to the grace of God is this idea that works will get me into heaven. So therefore, if I wear a specific um, garment, or if I, if I have a specific outfit, if I, if I have a, a very specific Bible, or, or, or if I do something religious, that kind of mindset is a stumbling block to you experiencing the grace of God. And, and I hope I'm not stepping on somebody's toes, but if you wear that armband, that WWJD, what would Judas do? Um, you can answer yourself. I'm not going to tell you what did Judas do. You can answer to yourself. I've seen grown men wear stuff like that to try and sell, tell themselves they are saved. It's, you cannot experience salvation through works. And if, if that's been your, your, your frame of mind, if that's been your point of departure, that you can work your way into salvation, then God's saying to you today, that is a stumbling block to you experiencing my grace. So the part I want to get to is this, and I'll, I'll quickly fit that, this in as best as possible. For us to truly understand the grace of God, we need to understand what grace cost God. You need to understand the cost of grace. And it's something I, f- I feel we should, we should meditate on or think upon, ponder upon for more, more often than what we do. Because God, God in His holiness, in His righteousness, He's a righteous God. We often say that, that God is love and that's right. But, but there's something higher than God is love. That's God is righteous. And it's, it's the righteousness of God that, that causes him to have to battle with Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Because it says this, 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that word all, in the original Greek, means almo. <laughs> all. All have sinned. Now if all have sinned, then, then there's a problem. Look at verse, um, uh, six, uh, chapter 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So God has set a standard on how he deals with sin. He set the standard in his word. And now that means because he's, he's righteous, he's, he, his justice demands payment for sin. That's what it says. The wages of sin is death. So this is the conundrum. God's justice demands payment for sin. And then Romans 3 says we all have sinned. So God's justice demands that he addresses each one of us regarding the sin we've committed in our lives. 
But that's where grace comes in. God's justice demands payment for sin. God's grace. That means when we say God's grace, we mean that He's a God that intervenes. Because we were on our way to be judged because of His justice. He's a God that intervenes. He saw our situation and He realized that means all of them will be judged. And He intervenes because of our situation. And He sends His Son, His only begotten Son. He sends Jesus Christ to this world to die a death and to pay a price that we could never pay to reconcile a, a sinful man to a holy God. So here's the thing. God's divine justice demands payment for sin. God's divine grace says God doesn't demand that payment from us anymore. That's His grace. God's divine justice demands payment for sin. God's divine grace means God doesn't demand it from me and you anymore. It's been paid for through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the cross. That's what happened when, 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 when in, chapter, in verse 10 it just says, righteousness and peace kissed each other. On the cross, that's what happened. You know what happened on the cross? The justice of God was put on the Lamb of God so that the righteousness of God can be put on the child of God. You know what? I'll pay you to say amen. <laughs> okay, 50 cents. Who's next? The justice of God was put on the Lamb of God so that the righteousness of God could be put on the child of God. That is what happened at the cross. And, and it's time that we develop a gratitude, a sincere gratitude for what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. On the cross of Calvary, verse 10 is what happens. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. On that, in verse 10, God's justice has been satisfied. Jesus Christ became the propitiation. That's not a word you should say when you're drunk or if you've got false teeth. You should not say that word. But Jesus Christ became the propitiation. The one who bore the wrath of God. The one who appeased the wrath of God. That's what happened on the cross. So that me and you, you, you and me, we do not have to face the wrath of God. If I have Jesus Christ in my life as my personal Lord and Savior, I do not face the wrath of God. That is what the grace of God intends. The grace of God was never meant to be a license to sin. The grace of God was never a, a, a way out, a loophole, so you can sin as much as possible. The grace of God is Jesus Christ becoming the propitiation for our sin. The one who paid the price. I'm going to go, I'm going to finish here in Titus. Maybe just give me one or two more minutes because I'd like to, to tie this up. Titus 2 verse 11 to 13. 
So if I have received His grace, we do agree that verse, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Do we agree on that? Okay. Do I have to preach the sermon again? We do agree that the grace of God brings salvation. Good. Now, salvation is not, uh, grace is not just there to bring salvation according to this verse. According to this verse, that's the starting point. It brings salvation. But then it says, the grace of God also trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's also the outworking of grace. And live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So if I sit here and I say that I am saved by grace. If I sit here and I say, He is my good, good Father. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. If I claim to be a child of God, then I should also allow the grace of God to train me to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. I cannot be sitting under the Word of God. I cannot be sitting in the presence of a holy God claiming that His grace has saved me, but I do not allow His grace to train me. If I do that, if that's my understanding, that I only, I only needed the grace of God to save me from going to hell, then I just took out fire insurance. That's all I did. I just didn't want to go to hell. But God doesn't save us because He doesn't want to go us, to, us to go to hell. He saves us because He wants to make us holy. He saves us because he, he wants to make us more like Him. And so therefore, if I claim the grace of God has, has come my way, then I have no choice. I do not have the luxury. It is not an optional extra. If you buy a new car, you can choose leather seats, optional extra. You can choose air conditioning, optional extra. But if I claim the grace of God has come our way, ungodliness and worldly passions is not an optional extra. Cannot be tolerated. Because as much as God's grace saves, God's grace trains. And as we sit here today, you sang. I didn't force you. He, uh, now where's, where's Mike? Mike? Mike got you going on that one. <laughs> open up my heart. Let you in. Come and do what you want to do, Lord. Will you open up your heart and let him train you? The matter is settled. He saved you. If there's a day in your life that you know that you've given Jesus, um, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then he, by grace you were saved and by grace you are being saved. But the being saved means that you're being trained so that you can be of use in the kingdom of God. The last thing I just want to say about the grace of God is it's found in Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech then if you, if you have been trained and you have been saved, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be filled with grace.
And the, the, the catch in that sentence, in that verse, is always. When the taxi driver politely asks you if he can pull in front of you, <laughs> let your speech be filled with grace. When the hammer lands on that soft nail, not on the steel one. Now you ask me to what extent should my speech be filled with grace? And why is it important? I'm not going to go there now. You don't have to put it up. But in Acts 7, we find Stephen, the first martyr, He's there and they're busy throwing stones at him. They're not saying, hey, Stephen, not like that pebbles you throw in the pond and make a wish. No, no. Where I grew up, 1978, it was half a bricks and stuff they threw at people. That, that, you know, so I knew what Stephen was facing. I saw that in the community. But they were throwing bricks at him. Not to scare him, not to shoo him off. He knew that they're about to kill him. And he says, Father, Father, forgive them. Jesus did the same on the cross. But you might say, that's Jesus. I didn't go there. I'm going to Stephen. Stephen, Stephen releases and forgives those who are about to kill him. You want to know how far we have to go with our words being seasoned with grace? Even to those who try to kill us. Why is that important? Because in the crowd, in the crowd, when, when, when Stephen said, forgive them, when he spoke grace, there was a young man standing. That over, he was the overseer of the murder of Stephen. He gave the instruction Hoimana. That's Hebrew for throw, guys. <laughs> he gave the very instruction. And when Stephen said, forgive them, Lord, he spoke grace over that man. And because of him speaking forgiveness and grace, that young man could get saved. When, when God met him on the way to Damascus, his name was Saul. He became Paul. And wrote more than half of the New Testament. I wonder what would have happened if Stephen died hating Saul and not releasing him. Your lack of grace in your speech, could that be holding back the next Paul? Your inability to forgive because you were just so hurt. Try and put your hurt weigh that up against a hundred rocks coming your way fast. And, and you talk about being hurt? But I just want to leave you with this. Could your unforgiveness and your lack of grace in your heart towards somebody, could that mean that somebody with a potential like Paul might be lost to us? 
but be lost for eternity because you could not say, Father, forgive him. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Let your thoughts be seasoned with grace. Or go as far as to say this. Can I ask you tonight? What you say about yourself, let that be seasoned with grace. By grace we are saved. By grace we are being saved. And by grace we will be saved. And we shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Amen. Amen.